Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking with Valentina Igoavil Madina, the editor and creative director of Suspira, the magazine that views horror through a feminine lens. I'm out in Munich at the moment at the Edge Editorial Design Conference, and I grabbed Valentina as she came off stage yesterday and made her stand outside in the rain to record this conversation about the ideas behind the magazine. As you'll hear, Suspira was inspired by twin frustrations. First of all, the desire for some kind of creative outlet. And secondly, Valentina's frustration at having to justify her love of horror to people. This magazine can be seen then as a very pure expression of the things that she finds fascinating about the genre. Explored first through the trope of monsters in the launch issue and then through fetishism in the second issue. Suspira won our prize for launch of the year at last year's Stack Awards and it seemed to arrive entirely fully formed in the world as this really ambitious and well-realised editorial package. So I was really interested to hear the ideas behind that award-winning formula and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Valentina Igoavil Madina. Hey, Valentina, thank you very much for coming and standing out in the rain with me. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> so you've just given us a fantastic presentation this morning, uh, talking all about Suspira. Uh, and I didn't want to miss the opportunity to get you to do it all again now. So this is a, a magazine around uh, horror and particularly with like a, a feminine lens. But tell us why make that like where, where, where did the, this idea come from um i think that idea has been within me for quite some time because like i repeatedly say that i'm a big horror fan since childhood so i think it's been sitting within me for quite a while um but what triggered it for me personally to actually do it was that i wasn't feeling like i had as many opportunities to have a creative outlet even though I work in the creative industries, but I wasn't feeling as creative. And having done a master's in fashion journalism, I knew that I always wanted to do my own publication at some point. So it came a little bit out of a desire to have a creative outlet. But then from there, the actual idea kind of like transpired from another frustration of mine, which is having to justify my um, affinity for horror and macabre subjects as such, because one of the most, uh, or the many things that I was here is kind of like, oh, but you're such a sweet girl. Why do you like things that are so <laughs> gruesome? It's like, the one has nothing to do with the other. You know, I'm not going to kill your kids at night. You know, it's like, just because I watch, you know, ghost stories doesn't mean that I'm going to come back as a ghost and haunt you. So it's, I think it came out of two frustrations. And luckily, it's really became something that's really fulfilling uh, for me, but not just for me, like for everyone who's kind of like working on it. So yeah <laughs> and you mentioned in the presentation as well something about you know horror not traditionally being associated as a women's thing mm. and so so either for viewers or for the actual stars that you see on the film yeah. it feels like there was something you wanted to address there as well yeah because i think within the actual horror industry it's already more or less debunked that it's a boys club i think it's just at outside of it more in the mainstream that a lot of people are just really 
thing that is a very masculine art form or a very masculine genre, um, which in a way has been true for quite a long while because it has been historically marketed towards men. But it's not just horror. That has been the case for a lot of different genres, a lot of different art forms. But I think that in horror in particular, it's it becomes very obvious uh, when you have the weak female against the strong masculine in a way. So um, yeah, I think that it was just a way to hopefully debunk that a little bit and make people who are not familiar with the genre or also aware of it in a way. And so you mentioned the weak female against the big mm. strong male character. Yeah. Interestingly, you, you talk about actually when you look at those films, the, the monster it isn't hurting the woman the, yeah. the monster's holding the woman the, yeah. what, what do you see as this relationship of women and horror what does that say more broadly about women and horror I think that I don't I think it also really depends on what other subgenre but also what time period you look at when you look at the female and the male character in a way because when you look at you know 30s to the late 50s there were hardly any you know like female monsters that were mainly either non-gendered or male and the the kind of like damsel in distress or the scream queen was always female in that case there was no real diversity the way that you would potentially see now um but i think that it's i always found it quite interesting when you look a little bit deeper at it that it's quite true that the female character is something for the monster or the male character to bounce off of it's like part of it enables the storyline but in a way I think the more I've looked at it I feel like that it also enriches it because it's allows the male or the kind of like I don't know monster character to be vulnerable to kind of like show that side of themselves that they're tormented actually like they don't want to kill they don't want to be the bad one but they've been made that way by the world so because of that um, you know they feel like they have to I think in Frankenstein I don't, don't remember the exact quote but it's kind of like you know if I cannot love or if I cannot have the one I will have the other which is kind of like killing or destroying so I think that uh, in those few instances of romance in those monster films you do see then that they become vulnerable they become kind of like protective over the, the woman and they just want them they didn't want to destroy them so so the first issue was all themed around monsters so the, this is the, uh, I guess, you giving the, the second look at these monster characters and mm. how they're created and how they intersect and interact with mm. the women characters. Your second issue is the fetish issue. And in that, there's a lot about the power of these women characters. Mm. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the, the stories that you uncovered there. Yeah, so I think it's, it's quite telling that you know, when you move a few decades forward, which is kind of like the 60s and the 70s, maybe early 80s, um, you know, apart from the sexual revolution, like do, you do see how um, in horror in particular, you start seeing a diversifying of the genre. So not just like more female leads instead of like just like a secondary character. Like you see more women leading in films, but you also see um, not as much, but like occasionally start seeing surfacing of like different ethnicities, like Turistatana or like Palm Greer, where you see, uh, you know, I don't know, like people opening up the genre a little bit more. And I think that horror in a way, while still problematic, in my opinion, is one of the first ones that actually tried to open up 
the topic of diversity a little bit more. And I think that we like to think that today we're like a bit more progressive, but I do think that there are things that they've done better back in the day than they're doing right now. And it seems to me that Suspira is also a real product of a community. And th- I mean, this is often the case with independent mm. magazines, that you know, you're reflecting yeah. the views of like a, a group of people. But f- so for example, your cover star of the second issue mm. performed at the launch party yes. for the magazine, like the, and it was super clear at that event that there's a group of people here who like, I mean, you know, she's mega famous for them. Like they're, you know, to tell us first of all like, who she is and how did that whole thing come about? Yeah, so that's I, probably one of my favorite kind of like stories of the making of Suspira because um, I've been a fan of Marie's for a long time because like, you know, I've been a very big fan of burlesque and pinup, but also horror. So I felt like she really infused the glamour of kind of like the 40s and the 50s with... This is Marie Devilroe? Yes, Marie Devilroe. For for someone like me, who had never come across her before, like, who is she? So she is a fetish model and a burlesque performer and also a latex wear designer. And, yeah, she's originally from Brazil, but she's been based in London for quite a while. And, yeah, she's become quite famous for her fusion of you know classic Hollywood glamour with uh, you know the macabre and horror um, so yeah I've been a fan of hers for quite some time been following what she's been doing and yeah when I started doing the monster issue initially I interviewed her for the monster issue and talked to her about you know her affinity for horror how it has inspired her art form and how you know, especially monster films and the monster has been influential to her. Um, and it was great because we sat down and we just literally just talked. It wasn't an interview anymore. And from there, we kind of like established a little bit of a kind of like creative relationship in a sense. So when we finished the monster issue, um, or while I was doing the monster issue, I decided to not include that interview and instead kind of like make her like a focal point of the fetish issue because I felt while I was researching but also while I was talking to her that it would be such a missed opportunity to not have an actual issue dedicated to the history of you know female sexuality and horror in that sense so, so she really inspired the second in a way, issue yeah. in a way she totally did um, and from there you know I then got in touch with another photographer and who I had never met before but now we're really close friends because she also loves horror and we've bonded over that so it's become like a little community in on its own and yeah so we photographed Marie for the fetish issue then we did a second follow-up interview which was great because that really allowed me to do this full-on profile piece that I did of her because she's been in magazines before and she's been interviewed before but I think this is the first actual profile piece about her and it also felt entirely fitting to put her on the cover as well so in a way it was intentional but it just came so organically and so naturally that it wasn't forced so it felt completely right to do it that way yeah Yeah. so that cover image i I mean it's an amazing cover it only really works if you hold that magazine in your hand and look like for example so when we put the cover on our website Mm just looks like a pink rectangle <laughs> but when you it's, the, it's yeah. that thing of print that like you need to hold it to see it it's true it's uh, problematic to market in a way because you know when people either want to stock it or want to buy it online they are unfortunately just exposed to the digital version of it um, there's not much we can do about it unless we start doing I don't know video covers <laughs> I don't know 
Um, so it's it's a bit of a shame because it's kind of the case with the monster issue as well, where it's kind of like first most people just like it's entirely black, um, and the reflectiveness of the material in the fetish issue also doesn't come out in pictures. So it was a bit difficult, but uh, I think it's part of the appeal as well that sometimes you just have to experience things in real life, and I think that's also what I like about it because it takes people out of the digital world and completely exposes them to the physical and the tactile in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you, I mean, so that, that's undercover and so your, your two cover images so far have been these like quite sort of abstract like images that, as mm -hmm. I say, you have, to see, you have to literally view them in the right light to, to see them. Mm -hmm. And then through the magazine as well, you also have various things where images and not presenting themselves immediately, uh, the, you know. Uh, so, for example, you have like those kind of bitmap images, mm. which are kind of reminiscent of like a monster's skin in the yeah. monster issue. What's this idea of showing something but not showing it? Um, I think that it's really funny because the more people tell me about our magazine, the more I notice a lot of things that. <laughs> I think are intentional but not very conscious to ourselves. I think the, the bitmap texture of the monster issue, absolutely, that was absolutely the intention. But I think it's also how ingrained the genre of horror is within our creative mindset, like for me and like the graphic designers to say so. Um, and I think that we, in a way, they consciously may be a bit more conceptual than myself. Um, but I think it's really great that because when you look at horror films you often have to dig a little bit deeper into the storyline and into the characters to really understand what uh, I don't know a character or, or a concept is about within the horror film and I think that Suspira in a way mirrors that with, with certain design aspects where it's deconstructed and abstracted so that you have to you know um, dive a little bit deeper and familiarize yourself with the genre whether you want it or not so it's kind of like forcing it to people. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, well, no, but it's also creating an aesthetic which is completely your own. I mean, you're mm. you're dealing with uh, like you know horror. This is a genre which lots of people have their preconceptions about, mm. and you're basically saying like, okay, forget this. Like, for example, you did a, a feature on scary clowns. Mm, yeah. You know, you could have just put like Stephen King's It all yeah. over it, but instead you went for this much more abstract still life approach. Yeah, which I think. Because it's so abstract, for me personally, I felt like it was much more scary because it was just, I don't know, different elements that on their own are harmless, but like when put together become something quite scary. And I think that's always the case with anything that scares us, that it's, you know, same like, I don't know, let's take guns on their own without a human being operating them, you know, they're, they're just objects, but you know, when you put them together with different things they become you know threatening so I think that it's far more interesting for people to consume things that way and also I think it allows for people to understand what it's what scares them when it's a bit more compartmentalized and a bit more deconstructed so I think that's definitely something that we'll, we'll continue to do, but I think it always shifts according to what our type or what fear we kind of like are exploring. So, yeah. so what scares you? Oh, many, many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
Ooh, that's a very good question. No one has asked me that, interestingly. Good question. Um, I think what scares me is, like fundamentally what scares me is not having freedom and not having security. I think that, you know, we, especially like in our Western bubble, we feel very kind of like secure within, you know, our different aspects and we feel like we're free. But I think that I'm very aware of the fact that, you know, Freedom doesn't mean always necessarily the same thing to everyone, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that, especially right now, that can be taken away in a snap. Like if you take, I don't know, for example, Brexit. Like for me, it can mean completely changing my life in that way. So I think I'm very aware of the fact that losing my freedom and losing my stability, that's probably what scares me the most. So it's not killer clowns, unfortunately. <laughs> So another really important influence on the magazine has been another magazine that came before this one. So um, Sabat uh, was a magazine of witchcraft um, and that's had a a big influence on how you produced Suspira. Mm. Yeah, in a way. I mean, Elizabeth and I, we've been friends since we studied together um, during our master's at LCF. And so, so Elizabeth, we should say, is Elizabeth Crone, who yes. is the editor Hi. of Sabbat. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, Elizabeth Crone, editor and founder of Sabbat magazine. Um, so yeah, so we've been friends ever since we studied together, and I saw her basically, you know, birthing Sabbat in a way. And we've always enjoyed working together. I would help out here and there with a few things, and we worked together on uh, other projects. And when the idea of Suspira came to me, the first person that I told about was Elizabeth because I really value her creative perspective and her inputs. And from there, it kind of like really snowballed into us wanting to work together on it. And also from there, noticing that Sabat and Suspira would potentially have a crossover of readership as well. So from there also grew the idea of uh, founding Dreadful Press, which is now the home of Sabat and Suspira. So it again happened very organically and basically just out of a desire of us really enjoying working together, being very much on the same page aesthetically and creatively. And also, Suspira is what it is because we had her help and her experience previously with Sabat because you know she already had experience printing a magazine, etc. etc. So there were quite a few bits that you know really helped shape Suspira and make it what it is as well. So the question then is what's next for Suspira? Well next is the third issue for sure. We've been sitting a little bit on the theme kind of like massaging it and really kind of like making it uh, a worthy follower to the fetish issue. Um, I've been kind of cagey about the theme just because I have been between two themes for quite a while. Um, and I think I, uh, until we're like fully ready to kind of like disclose what the theme topic is going to be and start getting contributions and submissions and stuff like that. Um, but it's going to be very something. We have to start like around April. So around that time, everyone's going to know <laughs> what it's going to be. <laughs> and yeah. so at, at that point, do you start, do you put like an open call out or do you already yeah. have people who you know who you're going to be commissioning for this? Um, yes and yes. So we have already people who have been in touch wanting to contribute to the following issue or we have other people that I know are going to be perfect for it. So I'm already in touch with them uh, in some ways. 
and we're definitely going to do a call out because it seems to work out quite well to bring uh, additional layers to to the content to have like completely unrelated people to contribute their ideas um, so yeah it's gonna be interesting I'm excited for it <laughs> and so that has to start in April which is next month yeah I mean it doesn't be- have to but we want to <laughs> it's okay. time all right okay. so, so then what's the like when can we expect to see this thing out in the world um, well I've had this dream of throwing a very big Halloween party, uh, Suspira Halloween party for a while. Last year I wasn't able to do it. So who knows, maybe this year I'm going to be able to like time it just right that we can push it to Halloween. And that would be very cool. <laughs> big bash. <laughs> okay, so you start next month so that then you can be ready for October so yeah. you can have it out for a great big Halloween party. Hopefully, yeah. That's that's my hopeful mind. So, But we'll see if, if that's going to be the way. But yeah. Well, you've said it now. So now you've got to do it. It's on record. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for this week. I have to say I'm very excited by the prospect of a big Halloween launch for this next issue of Suspira. So uh, I hope that Valentina and the team can crack on and have that magazine ready in time for October. I've been roaming around with my microphone here in Munich, so you can expect to hear more conversations with Edge magazine makers coming on the podcast over the next few weeks. Uh, If you'd like to make sure you don't miss those, search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and follow us so that we can deliver next week's episode to you as soon as it's ready. I'm going to head back over to see some more of the speakers now, so thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.